When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Yes, it is Wednesday. The pot of tea is on the go, as you can hear, and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we haphazardly call the noughties and to the football of its time. Welcome to the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. This is episode 18. Now, it's been 11 years since Ireland were cruelly robbed of a 2010 World Cup place, thanks to a certain handball. We'll be talking about that later. Elsewhere, the table never lies and will be Prawns à la France, some garbled French for you there, and to 2000's League Earn. But first, we've got to talk about Bayer Leverkusen and Bayer Neverkusen's anti-treble of 2002. Leverkusen and they played their first Bundesliga season in 1979 after spending some time in the Regionale. They made their first consistent push for the top half under manager Eric Rebeck's first season in 1985-86 and in that manager's three seasons they finished 6th, 6th and 8th and ventured into Europe for the first time. They were beaten in the earlier rounds of the UEFA Cup in 1986 and 88 but in the 1987-88 season, which was Ribic's final season in charge, they toppled the likes of Feyenoord and Barcelona, former and future European Cup winners, as well as Werder Bremen. They would win the UEFA Cup in a penalty shootout against Espanyol after two 3-0 scorelines in the world of a two-legged UEFA Cup finals. Rebic would leave at the top, or very close to it anyway, and um, the great Rhinus Michaels came in. Michaels, of course perpetrator of the Ajax success, the total football success of the 1970s, also went on to manage Holland to their Euro 1988 success, which he was coming to Leverkusen off the back of, which of course that tournament was in Germany, West Germany at the time. And the future looked bright for Leverkusen, but they would continue to be the bridesmaids. They were Neverkusen, as they were would become known in Germany. Uh, they'd won the Pokal in 1993 and went close in the Cup Winners' Cup and the UEFA Cup of its time in the early 90s, as did Borussia Dortmund at the time. But the tournament at that time was in permanently, it seemed, in the hands of Italian teams, Inter Milan, Juventus, etc., etc., Napoli, Parma. They would come within two points of the title in 1997, the closest that they came to the title around this time. And with that, with the expanded Champions League, they gained a first ever season into the Champions League. They would only fall to the champions, the eventual champions, Real Madrid, who ended their own several decades of hurt in European football. But the foundations were set nonetheless. But they'd have to play UEFA Cup football the season after, after they finished third behind Bayern Munich 
and eventual champions Kaiserslautern. Kaiserslautern that season saw the emergence of one Michael Ballack. Leverkusen were coming to their own though. They'd signed Michael Ballack for 4 million euros. They already had Zeruberto, Oliver Novell and Bernd Schneider came in for a combined 17 million euros in the cross the summers of 1998 and 1999. Leverkusen were cementing themselves as a top four team and with the additions of Lucio coming in for Robert Kovac as well as a young Dimitar Berbatov on the other end of the scale, they'd also lost Emerson to Roma for 80 million euros so all those four or five players that I mentioned before, their purchases were recouped with one sale of Emerson to Roma but Leverkusen remained at the top in Germany, or close to it anyway, as would be their story in perpetuity really. In 1999-2000, the away losses to Unterhaken, Wolfsburg and Bayern cost them. They missed out on the Bundesliga by the cruelest of margins. Goal difference to have cost Bayern Munich, who would of course go on to, the Bayern, to lift the Champions League in 2001 against Valencia. That team though, the Bayern team, was reaching the end of its cycle. You got the likes of Elber, Karsten Janke, Stefan Effenberg, Kufar, Matthias, who were reaching the end of their sort of peak period at Bayern Munich. Leverkusen would finish 4th the following season, 2000-2001, and despite finishing 4th, they were only 6 points off the pace, and unfortunately 0 home defeats had turned into 5, so with that home form the, the previous season, they would have won the league that season. But, the expanded Champions League again allowed for 4 German teams in the 2001-2 season, the season that was supposed to be the season for Leverkusen. They brought in Hans-Jörg Butt, that famous goal-scoring goalkeeper, and with the aforementioned names I've we spoke of, and the likes of Carsten Ramelow and Jens Nowotny were established into the team. German internationals, let's not forget. They, they got over the first group stage hurdle that they'd fallen at in the previous couple of tournaments in 1999 when they lost to Lazio and Kiev, and in 2000 where they lost to Real Madrid and Spartak Moscow, and they qualified with a game to spare. In the second group stage, they shipped four at Juventus, and they shipped four at Highbury at Arsenal. And, but with two thrashings of Deportivo, a team that was sort of in a similar bracket to Leverkusen as up-and-coming teams in the early 2000s, except Leverkusen, of course, didn't have that, that league title under their belt that Deportivo had won in 2000. They were supposed to go out at the second group stage, but they didn't. They were supposed to go out in the quarterfinals, but they didn't, even after a Sami Hoopia win at Anfield in the first leg of the quarterfinals. The second leg against Liverpool back at home in Leverkusen, though, was a... A sliding doors moment. Lucio got the late fourth at home in a 4-2 win that turned an away goals loss into an aggregate victory. The hero though, of course, as he would be for many years for Leverkusen, was Michael Ballack. Ballack was instrumental in the away goals win over Manchester United and he scored plenty of goals in the group stage victories and against Liverpool. And it's Michael Ballack who will be remembered as the kingpin of Leverkusen. We've put it out to our listeners here on What If Football, their memories of Michael Balak, and we've got Nick Hale who writes in, Balak is criminally underrated because he didn't win anything in that period. He's genuinely one of the best midfielders of his generation. Leverkusen were a decent team, but the Germany team that he and Kahn dragged to the 2002 World Cup final were distinctly average. And I have to agree with Nick Hale here. First, of course, England managed to beat that Germany team 5-1 in the qualifiers, so it says it all really. And the teams that they beat were of the calibre of Paraguay, USA and South Korea on the route to the final against Brazil. And those victories were hardly... They had beaten Saudi Arabia 8-0, let's not forget. And they'd put three, I think, beyond Cameroon. They drew to Ireland, so they were hardly 
aside from that Saudi Arabia opener, they were hardly, you know, demolishing teams. In terms of Balak, he has to go down as one of the best midfielders of his time, the early 2000s sort of bracket, the pre-Messi and Ronaldo era, let's call it. He won a Bundesliga with Kaiserslautern and did all that he could at Leverkusen. Become, he came closer and closer as the years went on, but he moved more into a 10 as opposed to a central midfielder, like an 8 or a 6 as they would uh, call it in Germany. And he could have been a Galactico in 2002, but chose to remain in Germany and went to Bayern Munich, uh, which was obviously the natural progression in Germany even then. And he would have gone on to Chelsea and become successful and for me, it's a surprise that he left Bayern in 2006. For me, he could have retired there. It was him, Schweinsteiger and Hargreaves in that central midfield three. I mean, it, it seemed like that was what that was what's written and that was fate. But Mark Van Bommel replaced him instead. And we've also got Harry, good friend of the show. Our boy Harry concurs. He says that he loves Balak and he says it was one of the best of all time and that Leverkusen were the absolute boys and beautiful times. And I can't agree more. And... We get to we get to the 2001-2 season, we push on. Leverkusen have beaten Manchester United on away goals. They went into the Bundesliga final day, where Borussia Dortmund only had a point advantage on Leverkusen. Had Bremen at home. Leverkusen, of course, had Hertha Berlin at home. Dortmund went behind, and of course the hero was Michael Balak, who scored twice for Leverkusen. A late winner for Dortmund. Kept the title in away from Leverkusen's hands, as it had been so cruelly done three, four, five years in succession. But the season wasn't over just there. Within four days, they had two finals to take care of. Schalke in the Pokal final and Real Madrid in the Champions League. Of course, it would be Zinedine Zidane who stole the show in Glasgow with that magnificent volley. One of the best goals in Champions League final history. It's between him and Gareth Bale anyway, but let's move on. And then, four days later, Schalke put four beyond them in the Pokal. The anti-treble was sealed. Balak was sold to Bayern. And five Leverkusen players made that German squad in the World Cup later on that summer. Eleven in total went to Japan and South Korea. Germany would of course lose in the final and Leverkusen have been to a couple of finals since the Pokal final in 2009 and one earlier on this year actually. They finished second in Bundesliga in 2011, the only time that they finished second getting the silver medal in Bundesliga. They've made four Champions League knockout stages since, all going out in the round of 16. So the story of Bayern Everkusen continues the getting so close to the success in the early 2000s, but failing each and every time. We'll be back after this short break with another team that were cruelly robbed of success and at a World Cup, Thierry Henry, Ireland and France, of course. Are you a massive football nerd like me? Do you like quizzes? If you answered yes to the both of these, then I'm pleased to tell you about Teammates, a sponsor of What If Football and the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. Climb the divisions, win the cups, all by linking teammates. A spring chicken with no knowledge of when football didn't exist before 1992? Try the modern section. Too old and not up to date with your Mbappes or your Camavingas? Try vintage mode. It's a football quiz to suit everybody's needs. At teammates underscore app on Twitter, teammatesapp.co.uk for monthly quizzes and merch and teammates on the app store look for the red and blue football teammates it really is a quiz like no other on this day 11 years ago Thierry Henry handballed against Ireland in a World Cup playoff 
it's still heartbreaking even now. So, Thierry Henry was six months removed from a treble with Barcelona. France had followed up the 2006 World Cup final with a group stage exit, a humiliating group stage exit in the group of death at Euro 2008, alongside Italy and Netherlands, as well as Romania. They'd lost three qualifiers since the World Cup final, two of which to Scotland in preparation for Euro 2008. Two draws versus Romania and Serbia in September 2009 funneled them out of automatic qualification for South Africa and into the playoffs where Serbia had qualified and Serbia would earn a fantastic win over Germany in South Africa in 2010. France on the other hand wouldn't be as successful but we'll get to that later on. Thierry Henry was France's top scorer in qualification alongside André Pierre Gignac and Elkrum ben- and Elkrum Benzema also bagged on opposite ends of scale in terms of experience and France were well on their way to becoming a big football nation in the wilderness. Now we've spoken about Germany elsewhere in this episode from 1998 to 2004. I think we can only say they had one good tournament really. 98 they were dumped out by World Cup debutants Croatia 3-0 in the quarterfinals. 2000 was a group stage exit inflicted in part by England with a 1-0 victory who of course also typically went out in the group stages. 2002 was the outlier here where they got to the final via the uh, favourable path considering Paraguay, US, USA, South Korea etc etc. 2004 also went out in the group stages Latvia, Netherlands and Czech Republic they lost two again I think they gained two points from that group stage overall managed to get a big draw out of Latvia. <laughs> so other teams Italy and the Netherlands are probably just coming out of it now they've qualified for the European Championships which hopefully will take place next year having failed to qualify for the World Cup Holland obviously missing out on Euro 2016 the the extended Euro 2016 to 24 teams which is quite humiliating really and also if they qualify as a big footballing nation which I think they do bias aside England have been in the wilderness well since forever really Um, (laughs) taking it out of account the 2018 World Cup in my lifetime anyway so Ireland. Ireland had won just four games in qualification, but they were undefeated until Anelka scored the winner at Croke Park in front of 74,000 people in the first leg. The odds were against the Irish. France hadn't lost a competitive match at the Stade de France since 1999 against Russia in a qualifier. Robbie Keane got the goal, Ireland were pushing France all the way. And then it happened. A deep free kick came in extra time. Henri controlled the ball with his hand. He touched it twice with his hand, in fact. And he played it into William Gallas, and it was unmissable. France scraped through to the finals after a 1-1 draw, 2-1 on aggregate. And here's where we have correspondence from our great fans on Twitter. Our Twitter, of course, is at whatif underscore YouTube, where you can... Tell us how we did on this podcast episode. Give us some more memories of Bayer Leverkusen, Thierry Henry, and our later topics later on today. So, on Twitter, at the Green Devil 20 says, Henry robbed us, I presume, Ireland fan. We played them off the park, but he fucking robbed us, face palm emoji. And you have to agree. Ireland would, of course, try to appeal the decision to get it replayed. But FIFA said nothing. Five million dollars to shut Ireland up and France went on to the World Cup in 2010. Ireland haven't been to a World Cup since. Did France do themselves justice in South Africa, to put it mildly? No, no they didn't. They played out a tepid nil-nil with Uruguay in the first game, which is, I think it's forgivable in a first match of a World Cup, sort of um, getting a, to adjust with the uh, the tournament and 
First games can be very hard. England, of course, opened up a World Cup with a draw against Uruguay, went on to win it. But that was 1966 and England, this was France and 2010. And in the second game, in the halftime, again, the second game against Mexico, Anelka was hauled off, shockingly. Um, So (laughs) everyone knows what happened here. Anelka and Dominic got into a rather heated situation at halftime. France's 1-0 scoreline, losing to Mexico, turned into 2-0, thanks to a Javier Hernandez penalty. So from the starting 11, Anelka went and then on to the next flight home. The players went on strike. Patrice Evra clashed with the physios and it was just full-on mutiny. The France players wouldn't get off the bus, but still, they went into the final match with a glimmer of hope against South Africa. France was still in the World Cup. They were on one point with South Africa. Mexico and Uruguay were on four, and both teams were praying that anything other than a draw in the other match. And so it transpired. Uruguay won 1-0 in Rustenburg, finishing first, which put Mexico in jeopardy, only a little bit of jeopardy, because France needed a four-goal win. South Africa needed a three-goal win and raced into a two-goal lead in the first half. And Thierry Henry, who dragged them into the World Cup, wouldn't play all that much. And he finally added to his 18 minutes against Uruguay in the second half. But still, even despite of Henry's introduction, France would lose 2-1. And Raymond Domenech was obviously, he had to be sacked after that performance, really. Um, my question is, is there a worse performance by a big footballing nation at a World Cup? This World Cup, of course, it kicked off the trend of world champions going out of the group. So you had Italy going out, losing to Slovakia later on that week. Spain went out in 2014, of course, losing to Chile and the Netherlands. And Germany were embarrassed in Russia two years ago, where they lost to Mexico, drew to South, uh, beat Sweden, and late in the day lost to South Korea and were out. So if the trend continues, watch out France in Qatar next year. But um, we have Argentina in 2002 can be excused by tough groups with Sweden, who were, who were very a very good team at the time, and England, who were all right, I suppose. Um, Italy and England both went out in 2014, again, excused by tough groups. I would say that France's performance in 2002 was worse than in 2010. You had the Senegal shock, and they didn't even score at the tournament. Zinedine Zidane, not at the races. Thierry Henry was probably one of the best forwards in the world at that time, didn't show up. And for Ireland, for Irish fans, for the Irish, I mean, you have to be a bit pissed off. You'd take France all the way and then they go and do that at the tournament that they should have been at because I do think that they would have won. They would have won that match. And potentially, I'm not saying they got out, they would get out of the groups, but they've got a very good history at the World Cups, you know, they beat Italy at 94, qualified there got to the second round, I think they lost to the Netherlands in America there, and they got to the quarterfinals in 1990 at the first World Cup, this would have been their fourth World Cup in 2002, they went out to Spain on penalties in Japan, Um, which I mean, taking it back to Germany in 2002, Ireland, could they have beaten Germany, I mean, Robbie Keane got an equaliser in the group stages and if they got to the semi-final if they got beyond South Korea which you know the referees and such <laughs> they might not have done but if they beat Spain in the penalty shot which I don't think is too much of a reach to, considering that they took them to penalties um, and if they beat South Korea could they have beaten Germany in the semi-finals who knows I mean they took them all the way in the groups they could have got to the final I mean they definitely wouldn't have beaten Brazil in the final <laughs> I mean Ireland in a World Cup final would have been fantastic in 2002 they would not have 
done anything like that in 2010, I believe. They were sort of in between eras, really. 2002 was a fantastic team, even without Roy Keane, Damien Duff, Robbie Keane, etc., etc. Um, they would have done better than France, I believe. <laughs> would have given Uruguay and Mexico good games. South Africa, it could have, that's a toss of a coin, really, with South Africa having home advantage. But again, it's a World Cup. Anything can happen, as we see in 2010, where Italy got dumped out, not even, not able to beat New Zealand, not able to beat Paraguay, Slovakia. So anything is possible in the World Cup. We did cover this episode on a what if, on what if football's YouTube channel, the Thierry Henry handball and Ireland, I believe might have made it out of the group stages but that is just one man's opinion so if you want to check out that video it's in the top right hand corner of your screen right now as we speak after this we'll be talking about the league earn and french football in november 2000 and the early 2000s We are back and this is the table and the table of course it never lies so this is what the table in France looked like almost two decades ago. French football had gotten over its match fixing scandal in the early 90s and late late 1980s of course Olympique Marseille. Marseille's four titles in a row had turned into the likes of PSG, Nantes, Auxerre, Monaco and Lons. Sort of handing the title to one another there was no there was no repeat winner until another Monaco win. They was the only team to win multiple titles in the late 90s, early 2000s. PSG, at the time, they were the nearly men. As you can see here, they were sat in fourth position. Four points off the top. It was a very congested table here. So we see the top 12 are all separated by less than three wins. So from Rennes in 12th, right the way through Lons, Monaco, Nantes, Gongamp, Lille, Sedan. I mean, we'll talk about them later on. It was a very tight table and it was it was indicative of the league at the time where there was no dominant period. Like now we see Bayern, Juve and of course in France we've got PSG just winning the league all the time. In England at the time, in the 2000s and 90s, we had Manchester United. Now more so Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City. So there was never that dominance in France after... So many years of Marseille, Jean-Pierre Papin, the two European Cup finals, that time was gone. It would return, of course. PSG wouldn't make good on those nearly men promises. They would fall down. And the nearly men in this time were Lyon. They'd finished in the top three in 99 in 2000. And we would go one better here, finishing second in 2000. They'd finish second despite a 5-0 win over Strasbourg on the penultimate day. The 5-0 win though was worthless as Nantes beat Saint-Étienne to win title number 8. Lyon, of course, <laughs> would usher in that period of dominance. A dominance in the 2000s that was probably the first of its kind really. Valencia won a couple of titles in Spain. Bayern were as dominant as ever in uh, in the Bundesliga for the first part of the 2000s at least. But you still had the likes of Borussia Dortmund you know, taking titles off them. In Italy, Juventus probably were the closest to domination that we would see across Europe in terms of league titles won where they would finally recover after the likes of Lazio, Roma, Milan shared out Serie A of course until Calciopoli and Manchester United were coming out of a domination really 
entering into a lean period of their own. In England, of course, Scotland would always be Rangers and Celtic since, you know, since the 80s, really. So Leon got the biggest domination in European football until recently, anyway. They won seven league titles, banging a row. And whilst PSG, of course, now have won seven of their own since, seven of the last titles, seven of the last eight titles, this was pre-2010s, this was the biggest domination of sort of big top five leagues that we've seen in a long, long time. You've got to go back until Milan won won Serie A a few times in a row in the 90s. Barcelona did as well. Real Madrid in the 80s did so in La Liga. And in England, famously, we've never had any team win the league more than three times in a row. Liverpool came very, very close to it in the 80s. Manchester United, of course, in the 90s and 2000s. But it's never happened in England like it has in France, Germany and Italy since especially in the 2010s, sorry. PSG would drop off and they would finish 9th, Bordeaux 2, after a great start where they led the league title to 4th place. Bordeaux, of course, I remember being a Manchester United fan, Man United played, us, played them a couple of times in the Champions League, I think it was in 2000, 99-2000, around that time. And at the other end of the scale, Strasbourg and Toulouse remained in the relegation spots throughout the season. Mets survived on the final day, and Marseille without, still without a title since their scandal in the late nine, uh, the early 1990s where they were demoted afterwards. Um, they saved their skin with a 1-1 draw on the final day, and they would have to wait until 2010 for their 10th title. Um, a 10th title that they thought they had in 93, but it was, um, of course, expunged from history. A team that you might not recognise here on the, the La Ligue earn table is CS Sedan, which they were in their third season back in the top flight, and their last time that they actually spent any time in the top flight was 2007. They fell from the second tier in 2013, fell from the third tier in 2017, and they are now in the fourth tier. They finished fifth, and 12 of the 18 that we see here, of course, Ligue earn has been expanded to 20 teams. 12 teams here have remained in the top flight ever since. We'll be back after this with a short break where we'll be discussing another 2000 trivial teaser and we've got another correct answer from a regular listener. Welcome back. This is a 2000 trivial teaser. Of course, our boy Scott Shaw was correct again. I'll answer last week was Papabuba Diop. He was a central midfielder, of course, and he was managed by Sam Allardyce, Chris Coleman, and played alongside the likes of Nikola Zigic, Kevin Nolan, Ricardo Vazte, Brian McBride, and Canu. Shout out to Scott Shaw. If you think you know the answer to the upcoming question, reply to our reply to this video. Let us know in the comments section. Tweet us at whatif underscore YouTube when this goes live on Wednesday. So today's answer to this player in question is a centre forward he's been managed by Roberto Di Matteo and David Moyes his teammates well he's played alongside William Gallas Mikel Silvestre he's played alongside Chris Brunt Antoine Griezmann and Hervin Lozano so hope a huge girth of <laughs> of players there and experience from Lozano plays for Napoli and Mexico, right the way to your French players of the 90s and 2000s in Mikel Silvestre and William Gallas. Maybe that's a curveball, maybe he's actually Northern Irish and he plays alongside Chris Brunt in the Northern Irish team. Maybe 
He's a strike partner of Antoine Griezmann in France, who knows? But again, tweet us at whatif underscore YouTube if you think they have the right answer to that. The answer will be revealed next week. And next week, we've got an Arsenal-heavy episode. We're featuring two great wins for the Arsenal. A 3-1 win against Manchester United in 2001. (laughs) Probably thanks in part to Fabian Barthez there. And of course, one of their most famous nights in the European Cup in a 5-1 win against Inter Milan in 2003 in that fantastic, invincible season for the Arsenal. Table Never Lies goes to 2001 and presumably we might be going to England and maybe we'll go to Scotland, who knows? But find out next week where we'll be going to the Table Never Lies and we'll be going to 2001 a table odyssey on the channel next week we'll be looking at the 1994 UEFA Cup final we're going to be talking about Spurs Johan Cruyff Sol Campbell Barca against PSG that famous Champions League clash we'll be talking about Serie A and we've got ISS Pro Evolution soccer and a review for you there I will be residing on at whatif underscore YouTube on Twitter for the foreseeable week let us know in the comments section if you have the answer to our trivial teaser. Let us know your memories of Bayer Leverkusen, Michael Ballack, Thierry Henry and his outrageous handball and the Irish team at the 2010 World Cup hopefuls. We'll be back next week for episode 19. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.